I remember a few years ago when I had my first experience of what uh, became known as the pay it forward phenomenon. Have you experienced that? I'm guessing that most of you probably have. In this case, I was uh, at a coffee shop, the drive through and I placed my order. And then when I got up to the window to hand my credit card uh, to the, the young woman, she said, oh, it's already taken care of. The person in the car ahead of you paid for your order. And of course, I began looking, trying to figure out if I could see who it was. It was a friend. Uh, how do they you know, know who I was uh, and care about uh, paying uh, for my, my coffee? And then I learned of this. I had never heard of it before, but I learned this was a kind of a thing going around where you just randomly pay for the meal or the coffee or something uh, for other people, just spontaneously, you know, doing random acts of kindness, as we used to say. Uh, it turns out that is a biblical concept. Maybe not so much about the spontaneous coffee or food, but the idea of giving to others out of what you have received, the blessing, the encouragement uh, that you have received from other Christians, you are to pay that forward to other Christians. We're going to talk about that today as we consider our, or continue our study of Philippians. Welcome, everyone. Good morning, Keith. Good morning, Jenny. Glad you all are with us. Uh, if you are new, my name is Doug, and uh, we go through the Bible here every Monday through Friday at 730 Mountain Standard Time. I think I said that right, 7.30 a.m. And uh, right now we're studying Philippians, and uh, I would just invite you back to uh, bring your Bible, bring a cup of coffee, and let's dig into the Word together. We need to be renewed in, in our minds so that we can be transformed rather than conformed to this world. We need to know the Bible, and I want to help you know it and learn how to study it. So that's what we do here. And I like to remind us every day that today is a good day. That doesn't mean it's an easy day. That doesn't mean everything goes wonderfully the way we'd like it, but it's a good day. We have hope. Just last night, I was uh, teaching in our seminary on First uh, Peter, and Peter repeatedly taught, calls us to fix our, our minds on the hope that is ours when Jesus returns, when we inherit what has been promised. So we have that hope, and therefore today is a good day. So let's declare that together, and you got to say it out loud. I say, I can't hear all of you, but I'm going to take it on faith that you're really going to say your part out loud and say it like you mean it. Say it like you believe it. You ready? Today is the day the Lord has made. And you say, oh, I might have heard you. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, good morning, Karen. Glad you are with us as well. Come one and all and let's, uh, let's dig into the word together. All right, so uh, Philippians chapter 2, that's where we, where we are at this morning, and I want to uh, draw your attention to the very first word here. It is the word, therefore. Now, one of the things you need to do whenever you're studying the Bible is when you come across a word like, therefore, you need to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? All right, these words are very important. Uh, I was asked, was it last week, someone asked what, uh, what Bible translation I prefer, and I said I prefer the New American Standard. One of the reasons I prefer the NASB is they translate the little words uh, for, because, and, like, as, and therefore. And, and it's important because 
those words show us the relationship between what the writer is about to say and what he already said. In the case of therefore, this is a somewhat technical term that says that the author is drawing a conclusion. He has made his case about something. He has stated something. Now, therefore, in conclusion, or as a result of what I've just told you, now I'm going to give you the conclusion. So whenever you see the word therefore, you need to stop and say, what has come before this? What is he using as his premises to get to whatever conclusion he's about to draw? So let's go back just a few verses and pick up and see what he's been saying, what what he may be building this conclusion on. And I believe it's starting in verse 27, which we looked at yesterday. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Remember we talked about that, how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, looks back to the cross and our forgiveness, but also looks forward to his crown, Jesus' crown being placed on his head. He is king. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And that gospel of the kingdom places a call on our lives. We are to submit to our king, to bow to our king. And so we are to live worthy of that gospel of Christ, he says. Whether I come see you or remain absent, I want to hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. You're standing for the truth of the gospel together in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And again, we talked about this, that uh, there are enemies, there, there's opposition to the gospel. And he wants to hear that these, these Philippians are standing together, they're in one mind, fighting for the truth of the gospel, not alarmed by their opponents. And, uh, and, and then he reminds them at the end of verse 29 here, it's been granted to you to suffer as you stand firm, for Christ's sake. So we, we looked at all that. I believe he's building on that and therefore draws his conclusion out of that. Therefore, he asks this question. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So let's dig into what he's saying here. He says, if there's any encouragement, this word encouragement, uh, in English, we often think of encouragement as almost a synonym for flattery, don't we? Uh, if someone uh, says something to you like, uh, oh, that's a lovely dress you're wearing or, oh, I like that hat or something like that, uh, we will say, oh, so-and-so is so encouraging. I'm encouraged by that. But that's that's really kind of superficial. I mean, we all like to hear it, and I'm not saying we shouldn't say those things, but there's not a lot of substance there. It's not really encouragement, in the at least not in the biblical sense. Um let me, let me show you this again. Look here at this word encouragement. What is the root? What's this, what's this root word here of encouragement? See, can I highlight that for you? I think I can. Whoops, I'm getting the whole thing. See what the center of this is, encouragement? It's this word courage. Courage. Well, when do we need courage? 
There is one thing, in fact, let me, let me just ask you, it's a pop quiz here. What is the one thing necessary for you to need courage? What is the one thing that is always there when we need courage? Think about it for a second. Can you answer that? Think about what courage is and what it is that you need in order to be called to courage. While you're thinking about that and, uh, and answering, I want to see if you get it. I, let, me, let me give a little more information on this word. Um, the word that stands behind this, this English word encouragement is the word parakaleo, which may not mean anything to you if you've never studied Greek. Uh, it's a combination of words of the word kaleo, which means to call or to summons, and a prefix para, which means alongside. So a parakaleo is someone who's called alongside. This is the word that is transliterated in John's gospel, in some of your translations, the paraclete. Remember who the paraclete is? He's the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm leaving, but it's okay. It's a good thing, in fact, that I'm leaving, because if I leave, then I will send the paraclete the one who is called alongside you. That's the Holy Spirit he's referring to. And the Holy Spirit will do all kinds of things. He will draw your mind back to the truth that I've taught you, Jesus says. So his disciples will remember what the Lord instructed them in and how he encouraged them and so on. One of the things that uh, this paraclete does is he can, he can serve as a defense attorney. So the paraclete, the one called alongside, who defends you in a court of law. And it, it can be used more generically uh, to call someone to action, to call someone to persevere, that kind of thing. So it's a pretty generic word. It can mean consolation. It can mean comfort, those kinds of things. All right, so let me look here. Does anybody, uh, know, anybody responded? Hey, Sherry, welcome. Glad you made it uh, with us this morning. All right, I don't see anybody uh, answering my question, so maybe it's not clear to you. Well, good. Let me let me edify you. Let me teach you. In order to have courage, one thing that is required is fear. Right? Think about that. You don't need courage unless you are afraid. It doesn't require any courage at all to do something that you're confident in, to do something that there's no fear whatsoever. But when you are afraid, we need courage. Do you remember how many times the Lord says, fear not, fear not, do not fear, do not be afraid? He knows we are a fearful people. There's all sorts of things that we're afraid of. And when we are afraid, we need courage. So Paul asked the question sort of rhetorically here, if there's any encouragement, if there's anybody who has come alongside you, that's the paracleo, come alongside you and called you to strength, called you to courage, called you to remember the truth of the gospel and the truth of Christ, to stand firm in hard times. Has that ever happened for you? Surely it has. Surely you've been through things where other Christians have come alongside, maybe they've written you notes, Maybe they've sent you texts and emails. Uh, maybe they have just sent you a scripture verse to remind you of truth. That's encouragement. It's not flattery, not, oh, I like your new haircut, but it's 
stay the course. Remember the hope. Remember the inheritance. That's how I started off earlier, right? The, the inheritance that we have waiting for us. That's all encouragement in Christ. Have you received that from somebody? He says, if there's any consolation of love, it's a similar kind of thing. If, if people have come alongside to console you in the love of Christ through your hard things. You've experienced that, haven't you? If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, remember we talked about fellowship way back at the beginning when we talked about uh, the koinonia. This is that word koinonia. And if you recall, I tried to encourage you, I tried to teach you that koinonia fellowship is not simply having coffee together. It's not just having a meal together or having somebody in your home. Biblical fellowship is that partnership. I described it as, uh, using as an illustration, my, uh, my partnership, my business partnership with this young couple way back when my wife and I were first married, how we, we invested together in this shared vision to build our business in the music business. That's what this koinonia is. It's much more than just hanging out, but it's, it's you contributing and me contributing to this shared vision, this, this shared pursuit. Paul here says, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit. We are brought together in the body of Christ by God's Spirit, and we are contributing to one another to accomplish the goals, the the vision that Christ has set out for us. Have you experienced that? Has anybody come alongside you and uh, uh, joined you, contributed to you in this pursuit of a common vision. I see uh, Keith here says, yes, during heart surgery, and I bet that's referring back to the consolation of love and the encouragement uh, where he had heart surgery and who knows how many people um, poured out love and reminded him of God's grace and kindness. We've all experienced that in various ways, haven't we? Yeah, Keith, thanks for, for sharing that. So there's there's the consolation of love. There's the uh, the the encouragement of the spirit, and here the uh, I mean the encouragement of Christ, and here the fellowship of the spirit, where others have partnered with you, and then more generic broadens out if there's any affection and compassion. So let me let me just again set this all up. You and I have all received this. We have been encouraged. I, I remember a time recently where my family went through a very, very difficult time. And one of the things that got us through it was some dear friends, Christian friends, who they are true partners with us in the spirit. They are, they are committed with us. They don't, they don't live here in town. They live in other part of the country. But they were constantly checking in on us, texting us, emailing us, calling us, spending hours on the phone with us, and reminding us of God's goodness. Uh, they were a listening ear, consoling us. They were true partners, pouring out affection and compassion. I've received that. You've received that from other believers. Now, Paul says, pay it forward. <laughs> That's where he's going here. If all this is true, make my joy complete. Fulfill my joy. Remember, he loves these people. He's praying for them. He wants them to be, he wants for himself to be filled with joy, and they will make that happen. How? By being of the same mind. 
maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And what is that one purpose? It's doing the same to others that they've received. That's what he's getting at here. Paul says, I will be filled with joy if I learn that just like you have received encouragement, consolation, partnership, love, affection, compassion, you pour out that same thing to others. It's paid forward. That's what we're called to do. You need to give back, give to others as you've received from other believers. He's going to go on and explain this a little, a little further. Or give us you know, sort of the negative side of it. The, the, not this, but that. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. What happens when you're needy? What happens when you are on the receiving end of all this compassion and love and encouragement? One of the things we're tempted to do is become self-pitying, right? When we're suffering, we're thinking about ourselves. That's why we need others to constantly point us to Christ and to remember the hope because we're thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about our pain and our struggle. And we need someone to point us away from ourselves. And it's very easy to become self-pitying or to become presumptuous where now we start presuming on others. I need more help. I need more encouragement. I need more people paying attention to me and thinking about me. It can get very comfortable. It can get very nice. These people, yeah, I'm constantly getting calls. One of the things that has happened with the uh, these families I was talking about who just reached out to us in such abundance through our hard time, uh, as we've kind of moved out of that season, we don't hear so much from them. Now, what temptation might we have in that setting? Oh, we're not getting the attention we were getting. Well, maybe we need to come up with more reasons for pity. Maybe we need to make it clear that we're still suffering so that people will still lavish kindness on us. Oh, we need to create now new reasons for others to focus on us. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you been there? Have you have you seen other people do this? One of the the sad, almost ironic results of suffering is we can become very, very selfish, self-pitying. Oh, poor me! And even when we're out of that season, we like the attention. Oh, poor me! Poor me! Please, more people come come give me stuff. <laughs> Please show me more attention and more affection. Paul said, No, 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 no. That's not. That's not how it works. Remember, those of, you, those of you who were with us in the Ecclesiastes studies, there's a time for everything. When it's your time of mourning and grief, then yes, you should be receiving the attention and affection and encouragement of others. But when that time is over, then it's the time for you to be blessing others with that encouragement. And watch out for selfishness. That's what he says here. Do nothing from selfishness or selfish ambition. Uh, the word selfishness here it can sometimes be translated that, that's sort of like a mercenary. 
where you're just a hired hand. No, it needs to be genuine. Do nothing from empty conceit where you're absorbed with yourself, but instead, with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. I almost entitled this uh, this lesson something about you have a significant other. In fact, you have many significant others. We use that term significant others as a as a synonym for a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend or something, right? Uh, this one, this other person is really significant to me. Well, Paul here is saying, as a Christian, you have a bunch of significant others. In fact, you and I are to go through life looking at all other believers as your significant others. Don't regard yourself as all that, but be looking out and regard others as all that. That's how we're to do it, right? With humility. That's the attitude of serving others. Being humble means I look at you as how do I serve you, not how do you serve me. Regard one another as more important, as significant, more significant than yourself. Certainly, you're going to take care of your needs. That's what we do. But we need to be looking out for others. And that's what he says. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This word, look out, uh, this, is a, this is an active, strong word. It's a form of the word scope, which comes right over in English as scoping, searching, looking. Some of you are like my wife. When you lose something, you are obsessed with finding it. And you will turn over every corner in the house, every seat cushion, every shoe. You'll search in every closet. Remember Jesus talked about this, the the widow who loses a coin and turns her whole house upside down looking for it and she won't stop until she finds it. I didn't really understand that parable until I married Krista. And uh, this woman is obsessed and it doesn't last just an evening or two. Uh, Even if we finally sort of give up on it, she will have it in her mind. She has a list. (laughs) She has a list of things we have lost and then she still is sort of searching for them. And if we find it, then she will check it off of her, her list. That's what she does. And she is actively, constantly searching for the things that are lost. That's the idea behind this word scope, looking intently. It's not a casual glance. It's not just, you know, our eyes kind of roaming around and whatever they might find. No, this word is intent, intentional. What does he say to where to be looking for? Scope out, look out, not merely for your own interest, but also for the interests of others. So what the, the instruction here is, be active in seeing how other people need encouragement, love, consolation, affection, partnership with that shared vision in the spirit, and pursuing the call of the gospel together. Uh, Sopgu here says, 2 Corinthians 1, 4, he comforts us so we can comfort others. Yeah, exactly. That's what Paul is going to argue uh, to the Corinthians. 
the Father of all comforts has comforted you, and now you in turn turn and give that comfort to others. And by the way, this this English word comfort. Look at the root of that word comfort. Com, C-O-M, is a prefix. The root is fort. Again, we tend to think of comfort almost in that same flattery, make people feel good context. That's not what the word comfort means at its root. Fort, strength, comes from the Latin for fortify, to strengthen. When others are weak, they need someone to strengthen them. That's what comfort really is. It's providing some some exhortation to strength and protection. Well, how do we do that? You know, there's a there's a limit to the kind of comfort that we can provide somebody, but we can pull, uh, push everyone and, and turn everyone's minds and hearts to the God of all comfort, as he's described there in 2 Corinthians. So when you see people that are weak, uh, who are struggling, who are experiencing all sorts of, of challenges in their Christian walk, point them to the one who can give them strength. Again, Jesus said, fear not, fear not, do, do not be afraid, do not let your hearts be troubled. We can point people to that, to give them the strength that they need, or at least to point them to the one who can. And we do that as we reflect on how many people have done that for us. We are not to receive these comforts and encouragements simply to experience for ourselves, but we are to then give that to others. Yeah, great, great point. That's what, G, that's what Paul here is saying. So think about how you've received all of these things. And, and if you're in the season of great struggle, then receive them more. And I pray the Lord will send those people. And if you're in a good church, if you're surrounded by Christians, if you have people who love you in Christ, they will do that. That's what we do. But if you're not in that season right now of receiving and needing that, then you need to be actively searching. How do I comfort somebody else? How do I give strength to somebody else? How can I partner with them in that true fellowship and this shared vision we have of the gospel? How, how can I give? Maybe it's money. Sometimes that's what it is. Someone's just, they're, they're going through hard times. They've lost their job. And today, people can lose their jobs because of their faith, because of their commitment to what is true in Christ. And if it costs them their job, they might need a check from you or an envelope anonymously with some cash in it. Uh, Affection, compassion, all those things. Search it out. Do you know somebody? And this is rhetorical. I don't want you to put it in the the comments necessarily. But do you know somebody? Is there somebody in a small group, someone in your church, someone that you know online? Someone, another Christian who who is uh, afraid? And they need courage. The exhortation is: you need to pay this forward. You have received it, just like um, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of convicted here. I'm kind of challenged as I use the coffee analogy. I don't think I've ever done that. And uh, again, that can be a little bit superficial. It's a nice thing to do. Don't get me wrong. If you, if you like to do that, then then keep doing it. But it it goes beyond a you know a four dollar cup of coffee, which which can be. Just a lovely experience to, to have. And, and, you know, we I was joyful. I was thankful. 
Uh, and I, I actually prayed for that person that day, even though I don't know who they were. Lord, if, uh, if they know you, then uh, reward them for what they've done. If they don't know you, would you give them the greatest reward? Would you bring someone in their path to, uh, to, to preach the gospel to them? Uh, though That's nice. And I don't think I, <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever done that with a coffee shop or a meal. Maybe I have. I, I don't know. But at a much more significant level, are you searching out someone to whom you can be gracious and kind and encouraging like this. Tomorrow, we are going to look at the next section of Philippians 2, and it is Paul drawing out the greatest example of all, how Jesus thought not of himself primarily, but he thought about you And he thought about me and he sets out before us an example that, you know, we can never live up to, but we can learn from and be challenged by and encouraged by. So I pray you'll have a great day that you will search out those that you can bless in this way and come back tomorrow as we ponder together the greatest example of sacrifice and love for others that has ever been shown. So until then, grace and peace to you in our Lord Jesus.